Are you a good witch or a bad Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I am very clearly a screaming stunt double coming at you from my boyfriend's closet, which is still better than where Prue's boyfriend ends up at the end of this episode. Oh, snap. Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. Oh, <laughs> uh, you totally stole my thunder. I was going to make a joke about how we're recording on the second day of Pride Month and Phoenix's first instinct is to go back in the closet. <laughs> so sad. Oh. Hey, listen, it's going to sound great in here. Anyway... Um, and I'm literally just another woman, and we should all hate each other, because we're all in competition with each other for men and jobs, so fuck you, bitch! I'm Siren Rex Fry. This is the podcast where two actual witches are finally going to stop bitching about Charmed Season 1, because it's the season finale, and we're gonna wrap this bitch up. Yes, today we are discussing Charmed Season 1, Episode 22, Deja Vu All Over Again. You know, normally I would talk about what the title means, but I didn't prepare anything and Phoenix did. So take it away, bro. Uh, So obviously the title is a reference to this being a time loop episode. Blah, blah, blah. Obvious, obvious, obvious. But there are actually a lot of different shows that have used this exact episode title, like Xena, Warrior Princess, season four, episode 22, The Medium, season six, episode one, among a few others. It's also the title of a song and album released in 2004, by the artist John Fogarty. And what does that say about the level of inspiration here that the title of a time loop episode is this repetitive? That is kind of lazy. I actually, did, I, it didn't even occur to me to check. I, I did not know that this title was used by like literal other like sci-fi fantasy shows that have done time loop episodes. That's like super lazy. I didn't either. I didn't either. So like when I was... I literally, I found this out when I was looking up the IMDb stuff. I typed in Deja Vu all over again and like 78 different things popped up. Oh, wow. I guess I should have known that Xena used it first, at least, because I really like that episode. Um, but that's, hmm, that's just so lazy. Or is it on purpose? Is it homage? I don't know. I can never tell. According to IMDb, this episode rated 8.7 out of 10 and is the one where a warlock repeatedly tries to kill the Charmed Ones with a demon named Tempest turning back time after each failure so that he can try again. So this is a time loop episode. Nearly every supernatural fantasy or sci-fi show has at least one. Charmed has two time loop episodes, though they function very differently from each other. Uh, There's this one, and there's also The Good, The Bad, and The Cursed in Season 3, which, God, we're going to have a field day when we get there. That's, I can't even, just, ooh, racist Western tropes alone. Overall, in general, broadly, a time loop episode is defined by at least one character reliving the same day or events over and over again, usually while being the only one who's aware that it's happening. The first time loop I ever remember watching was the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. I remember we had to watch that in social studies in, like, high school, and I have no idea why. Um, But we did. Yeah. Um, Some other shows that have done notable time loop episodes, at least that I've seen, are uh, Buffy, Supernatural, Xena, Warrior Princess, The Magicians, Legends of Tomorrow. I actually really like that one. The X-Files. 
Angel, Star Trek, and then um, most recently, at least in my experience, the entire first season of the Netflix program Russian Doll is about a time loop, and that was very good. I have not seen that, but I love Natasha Lyonne, so I want to watch it. I love time loop episodes in general. I don't, I just, I always enjoy them. I, I feel like they're always like stressful as shit. So I don't know why I love them. I guess I just find them fascinating. This, God, I didn't even mean to go here, but I'm going to go here. Um, time loop episodes remind me of like some sociological theories that I like studied way back when, when I, cause I'm. Um, I was a sociology major in college. I actually have a degree in sociology, and that's why I now work in retail and do podcasts. Because <laughs> I have a useless liberal arts degree. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Pettit. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of Goffman's role theory. Okay, role theory basically states that like we all play roles, and like you're a different person depending on what context you're in. You're a completely different person when you're at work than you are when you're with your grandma than you are when you're with your grinder hookup. To, to you, you're always just yourself in all of those moments, but you like act and even think in completely different ways depending on the context. So role theory kind of states that there is no true core of who you are. You are who you are in context of the social situation that you're in. How that relates to time loop episodes is um, you'll often see people react differently when like the character going through the time loop treats them differently. You know, like sometimes you see people just act exactly the same, no matter what happens. So that would kind of be the opposite of role theory. But I think there's a lot of people are different and do different things depending on how they're treated or what situation they're in. And I think this episode of Charmed actually explores both sides of that. You know, like there's jokes about how like Wendy Williams is like the same bitch, <laughs> no matter what. But like, I mean, um, Phoebe and especially Prue gets different reactions out of people depending on like how they behave in the loop. I guess this episode is not the best example of what I'm talking about, but it is something you see a lot in time loops. And I find that fascinating. So basically this role theory is something that happens to everyone, but is the thing that people give Gemini so much shit about. Yeah, actually, that was that is correct. We're just really good at it. Um, I know. I guess maybe you're just like really transparent with your duplicitousness. <laughs> uh, I love this episode. As far as season finales go, I would call this one like, a lot of fun for the most part. There's obviously some really heavy shit, but the repeated gags are really entertaining and each loop changes them just enough that it doesn't feel too repetitive. And I also think that this is one of the best Phoebe episodes. I love Phoebe in this one. This is a great Phoebe episode, and for it, sure. It is all downhill from here. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that, but no, this is a good Phoebe episode. This is a good episode for Phoebe's powers. Yeah. I think that's all we need to cover here up top. Do you want to get into the scene by scene? Let's do them. All right. So the episode begins with Inspector Rodriguez, who we've established as a demon at this point. At the end of the last episode, he killed his partner with his red eyes and his pterodactyl scream. <laughs> Or whatever. Yeah, so no, he's he's looking at pictures of the Halliwell sisters while summoning a demon. It's very dramatic. The shot is interesting. He like he he you don't see him looking at the pictures. You see the pictures as he puts them face down on a glass table and the camera's like under the table. It's an interesting shot. Yeah, that is a really interesting shot. I didn't remember that it was like that because I have not watched this episode since I took my initial notes. Um Yeah, so full disclaimer, Phoenix has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> I don't. I'm just going 
going with it. But if you stuck with us this long, you're used to it by now. So anyway, he has like these weird, like he paid a private investigator to take random photographs of them. Like, isn't that what those pictures are? Yeah. Well, I always assumed it was him because I mean, he had police resources. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I don't It's like a thing in the nineties. Like villains always have black and white candid photos that the subject is unaware of are being taken. <laughs> you know, how villainous. <laughs> that is a very nineties trope. Yes, it is. It is. 100. So yeah, so then so he summons this demon who he um immediately gets on his knees for. Hot. Um Phoenix can relate. <laughs> yeah, uh the demon Tempest appears and says that he is a gift, which again makes this kind of seem like it is going in that direction. Yeah, I've seen a porn that started this way. Yeah. And they talk about how a bunch of demons have died because of the charmed ones. So they make a stupid plan to attack the witches all at once and when that fails, Tempest will Fix it. They're planning to fail, which is basically just wild to me. He's like, well, you're definitely not going to be successful at this the first time. So I'm here to like tip over this little hourglass and uh, give you a second chance because we know that you're going to fuck it up. The whole premise of the plan is so dumb because it's like common knowledge that they're like the charmed ones. They're strong because there's three of them and their powers are magnified together. But the entire plot of the episode centers on... Tempest insisting that Rodriguez attack them when they're all together. Why? He has the power to rewind time. He can learn when they're going to be separate. It's like... Yeah. So yeah. easy. Like, snap, snap, snap. Kill those witches. You're done. But... Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could attack Piper at work. You could attack Phoebe literally anytime, anywhere, because she's useless. And you could attack Prue when she's by herself. She, like... In season one, for sure, Prue is the hardest to kill. That's not so much the case in season three. But certainly not. Yeah, I don't know why they went about it this way, to attack them all three at the same time. I guess to, like... I mean, it's the crux of why the plan fails. Yeah. Well, I think because at this point, because we get a line a little later... I don't think they know which sister has what power because everyone that has faced them so far has died before they could report back. That's true. So maybe this is all just like reconnaissance for the source. They're not yeah, planning. This is like Tempest's fact finding mission and Rodriguez is just a pawn and he doesn't really care what happens to that fuck. Yeah, maybe that's the deal. That makes more sense, I think. That makes way more sense. And you kind of dig it. Yeah. Um. So Tempest. The the big demon's name, his name literally just means time in Latin. Oh my god. I didn't so know like, that. Oh yeah. That's uh stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um it they never say this in the episode, but in like um I think it's on the back of the DVD case that I have, they call him Tempest Fujit, which means time flies, but he's always just called Tempest in the episode. But Either way, it's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. I took, yeah. like, like I mentioned, I took my notes on this episode a while before we recorded. And uh, my notes just say, too many candles. Now kiss. Blow out some of those candles before you kiss. Yeah, so yes. I'm I'm assuming that there, I sensed some sexual tension and had feelings about the amount of candles Rodriguez had in his random office, apartment, loft thing, wherever they are. And you know, it's interesting because you as a Gemini are actually a direct antithesis to role theory because no matter what situation you are in, you have two thoughts and it's too many candles and dick. <laughs> and that is it. <laughs> can 
read your motivations a mile away. Well, thousands of miles away, actually. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. I am thinking about dick pretty often. That's not gonna... It's like all we talk about, so... Um, excuse me. <laughs> Byron, blow out that candle while I tell you about one of my boyfriends. I can't even be mad because that's kind of true. Anyway. <laughs> Rodriguez is played by Carlos Gomez, an actor, cinematographer, and producer who's still in the business. He has 117 credited roles on IMDb, mostly from cop shows, which, you know, questionable, but they were super popular for a long time for, like, no fucking reason. You may know him from Queen of the South, The Glades, Madam Secretary, or like a hundred of other shows. Uh, He's been working since 1989, the year after Siren was born, and it looks like Charmed is his only fantasy role. So we're just saying my age all of a sudden. Neat. Cool. Well, I automatically assume that everyone is bad at math just like me, so maybe they won't figure it out. Okay, well, let me just do the math for you and help you out. I'm 22. (laughs) Tempest is played by David Carradine, who I think most people know from Kung Fu. There's a lot of controversy to talk about with this actor. Uh, For one thing, the role he is most known for is that of a Chinese man, and David Carradine is, well, a white man. (laughs) In one of her comedy shows, I remember Margaret Cho said the show should not have been called Kung Fu. It should have been called Hey, That Guy's Not Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, For another... Okay, so David Carradine is dead now, and it is highly suspected that he died of autoerotic asphyxiation. Hot. Um, the way he was found is not the way you want to find a dead body or be found as a dead body. Um, and I, I was with someone for, let's just say, 13 years who was into the autoerotic asphyxiation thing. And I did not care for that. And when I knew they were doing that by themselves, it always freaked me out because I would remember that David Carradine died that way. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) True story. True story. Um, Anyway, if that's your thing, I don't want to yuck your yum, but girl, be careful. (laughs) So Phoebe is on the phone with Piper, who's at Quake, covered in marinara sauce. And that bitch Nancy O'Dell's on TV, who Siren thought was Wendy Williams. I thought she was someone. (laughs) I may have thought she was Wendy Williams. I don't know. The tea is exceptionally hot today. Uh, Don't you? I'm swear to God, the and we're getting canceled now because I've whitewashed Wendy Williams. <laughs> There's a car crash outside, and Prue automatically assumes that it's Phoebe's fault because she's sitting inside the house. In the newspaper, Andy is accused of murder, and Phoebe touches it and has a premonition of Andy having a really bad fall, and he died. Why did you make that sound weirdly sexual? (laughs) I don't know. I was like, and part of me was like going, was going to go for like a help. I fall and I can't get up bit, but then it just came out sexy. Because you only think about dick. Are you, are you turned on by Andy dying? Phoenix, are you a necrophiliac like Piper? I mean, I do talk about death a lot. So maybe a little. Okay. So, um, yeah, we have the opening credits and... I didn't take notes about the opening song. I'm sure that it's uh, 90s and probably pretty good. <laughs> I I have this I have this note in later, but I want to talk about it now. Yeah. Um just the whole vibe of Tempest feels like he's supposed to be a character on Walker Texas Ranger and not charmed. Yeah, for sure. Although his like 
his outfit is weird. <laughs> his weird, like, robes. Yeah. It's, they're like, I don't even know how to describe, it's got, like, these, like, red and black robes on. I don't know what I think about them. They don't look, like, super high fantasy. They don't really look, like, nerdy or cosplay or D&D. I want him to the- look like Clockmon from Digimon Digital Monsters. <laughs> That would have been a much better look for him. Yeah. So we, we've had the opening credits. Prue interrogates Phoebe about her premonition. She's really pissed off about it, which, I mean, fair. She's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'm fairly certain we're going to have a stunt double in here at some point today. We cut to the police station where Rodriguez is there to, to question Andy. Andy and Daryl are having a conversation before Rodriguez gets there where Daryl's like, he probably whacked his own partner. And that's hot. Like, just Rodriguez is, like, sleeping with everyone right now. He jerked off his partner at the construction site. He went down on Tempest five seconds into meeting him, and now he's got the hots for Andy. He sure does. He sure does. It's a whole big thing. Um, Rodriguez is very bold and says that his partner was murdered by something supernatural. And maybe Andy's witch friends can help him out. Prue Hallowell's a witch, and Andy makes some sort of lame Wizard of Oz joke. Um, It's like, you get Scarecrow and Tin Man, and we'll alert the Wizard of Oz. It's so bad. (laughs) It's it's really bad. It's so bad. Honestly, like, the the only realistic reaction to him saying that would be for Rodriguez and Daryl to both just, like, stare at him and be like, (laughs) cringe, bro. (laughs) Like... (laughs) In any case, Rodriguez wants to arrange a meeting with Prue. Yeah, the first time, the first time we do this scene, it feels kind of like natural, like ish. I mean, like like Rodriguez is like, you know, opening up that he knows about the supernatural world to Andy, and so he like sort of does it like delicately ish in like a, a demon cop kind of way, as much as a demon cop can be delicate, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely get a sense that he's trying to be gentle at first. But yeah, then, and I you just know. mentioned that now because the next time we see the scene, it's like completely different. I mean, it's just typical of a man for like to like freak out when he doesn't get what he wants the first time. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, so Tempest really likes clocks, which again is like two on the nose. Like every time you see Tempest now, he's like standing in front of a clock store, and also like who owns or frequents a clock store. That's like, it's just such a weird thing. I mean, I guess it was the 90s and like not every, you know, not everybody just had like a a clock in your pocket on your phone all the time. But yeah, people didn't walk around with supercomputers in 1999. I, I know. I just feel like it's weird. It's like, oh, we need a new clock. Let's go to that obscure clock store downtown. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange business. <laughs> it is really weird. It's like in Sabrina the Teenage Witch when uh, Hilda opens a clock shop for no fucking reason. Hmm. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> it's so weird. But, like, thankfully we'll stay in business because this one guy in strange robes likes to creepily hang out outside. <laughs> <laughs> so Tempest and Rodriguez talk about their stupid plan outside the clock shop. And uh, then... Phoebe brings Piper a new dress because she's a sloppy baby and she has marinara sauce all over her shoulder. Why? How did that even happen? Like, how did you do that? And also, you knew you were going to be on camera today and that's the dress you chose? (laughs) So many questions. So, (laughs) this bitch, Joanne, shows up, who we are supposed to hate for dubious reasons. She and Piper went to high school together 
Um, Piper is supposed to be on a cooking show today, and Joanne is here to produce it. Joanne is the producer of a cooking show. Joanne is living her dreams, and Piper freezes the room so she can talk about her low self-esteem, and then Phoebe makes her feel better by talking shit about Joanne. Here's my question, though. Why is Piper being featured on a cooking show when she just manages the restaurant? And she doesn't cook anything, a plot point we visited several times. That's she an does excellent not... question. And obviously she's out of practice because the first time she tries to cook, she gets marinara sauce on her shoulder, which again, we're like, how? Were you somehow <laughs> holding the marinara pot at eye level? Like, why? So many questions. But that's irrelevant to the bigger point that I have to make here, which is the whole thing with Joanne is probably one of the most anti-feminist things this show does. I do not appreciate the thing with Joanne going on in this episode. So because we're in a time loop, we have three scenes with Joanne, and I think they get progressively worse. (laughs) Um, So this is the beginning of this feeling that honestly Phoebe is kind of responsible for. They're both responsible, honestly. But this feeling of inferiority that Piper has toward Joanne and that makes um, Phoebe and Piper hate her. And yeah, she for like no reason. She doesn't do anything wrong. Like she shows up. She's happy to see Piper. She's happy to see Piper. And she's like, don't you remember we moved to high school together? Piper doesn't even remember her. But this person, Joanne's happy to see her. And we will later learn that Piper was like an outcast nerd loser in high school. And this is someone she went to school with who's excited to see her and being nice to her. And the only thing she does is answer Piper's question about her job by telling her how she got the job that she's there to do. That's the only thing she does. She's proud of herself. You know, she's got a good job. She's on TV. Of course, she's proud of herself, but she's being nice about it. But, like, we're led to believe that because she's pretty and successful that she is the enemy. And this is an anti-feminist trope that is fucking everywhere. Still, probably, on television. But definitely back then. But it's just very disappointing to see it in Charmed. Which, as we've stated previously, I feel like is a pretty feminist program for its time. Mm -hmm. But this is just very clearly, like, pitting women against each other for stupid reasons. And it's almost always to do with jobs or a man. Like, women are in constant competition with each other for jobs and a man, and there are all these media examples that perpetuate this trope. And I just think it's so stupid. Because Piper is also successful. She's the manager of a business. And they're there to work together. There's no reason for them not to be friends. But there's just some kind of, like, stupid jealousy thing. And it has an ultimate point to get Piper to a season one finale kind of place, I guess. But I just think it's a really stupid vehicle to deliver the story, and I don't like it. I have a little bit of space for it. I agree with everything that you're saying. I don't think that her being pretty and successful is a good enough reason to not like her. However, I do sort of understand... Piper's reaction to seeing somebody she knew before being more successful than she is. Because we did learn that Piper was an outcast in high school and she didn't have a lot of friends and she didn't feel good about herself and people well, were we mean. Well, don't, we don't really know that yet. That's a season three bit of character development. Although if you look at Piper, I guess you can just sort of assume. <laughs> <laughs> but if we, if, we take, if we take that knowledge that we get later and apply it to the situation, I think it makes sense for her to be defensive and revert a little bit. Because when you see somebody from your past that you haven't seen for a long time, they have a tendency to view you the way that they knew you before. And 
because of that, it starts to make you feel like you're that same person. Well, I do understand that. And that's actually a great example of, get this, role theory. (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating. Fascinating. Go on. I've experienced that a bunch, especially with my family members that don't see me very often. They just assume that I'm the same person that they knew from when I was like eight years old and I'm not. And I get really defensive about that and I'm not always the nicest to them because that is how they treat me. So I think that that might be the space that Piper is approaching this from. And I want to give her space for that. But I do agree with everything that you said. If we look at it at face value and and with just the context of this episode, it is shitty and anti-feminist and shouldn't be in here, but... Well, I mean, if you want to apply all that nuance to it, then yes, it's it's relatable. It's I mean, it's relatable to let your own insecurity make you, like, hate other people you're jealous of. That's that's humanity. We all do that. But mm-hmm. it just, I feel like that it has a larger context in media that is more problematic than it is relatable. I, I can agree with that for sure. I just, analytical purposes, I wanted to give Piper a little bit of space and allow her to make that mistake. But this was n- definitely not the intention with in the writer's room writing this episode. Yeah, well, I, I just really feel like it's framed in a way that the audience is supposed to hate Joanne, especially when because like the, in the last scene, it's like Piper has, is victorious over Joanne, you know? Like that's the feel we're supposed to get. Because she's mean to her out loud instead of behind her back. Yeah. Prue and Andy talk about his upcoming death on the murder swing. <laughs> the, mur- the, the murder swing, of course, would be a reference to um, last episode. Our guest, Madge, said that the perfectly scenic little park swing looked like a place where the Zodiac killer would murder you. <laughs> yes. So now so that's, um, that's all we can see. <laughs> yes. So they're having a really deep conversation on this murder swing. And Andy's like, oh, duh. Obviously, the demon is Rodriguez. Like, that makes sense. Of course he is. And so Prue's like, that's fucking bitchin'. Bring him to my house. And Andy wants to tag along, and Prue's like, nah, don't make me use my magic on you. But she just cares for him. She cares for him, and she doesn't want anything bad to happen she to says, him. She says, Prue has a line that she repeats or whatever, but it gets more intense every time. And in the first iteration, she says, you know how much I still care about you. Yeah, and then she says, I would die if anything happened to you. I still love you. Yeah, so it gets it gets more and more country feeling or whatever. Yeah. But right now she just cares about him a little, that's all. Yeah. I like you a little bit and I'd be happier if you weren't dead. So and now Prue agrees to let Rodriguez come to their house three times and like she every time she thinks or knows that he's the demon and it's gonna be a smackdown. So why the house? I mean, like, she knows it's going to get all fucking torn up and they're going to have to fix the clock. Like, <laughs> it's where they're the most powerful, but that hasn't been established yet. I don't I think. mean, yeah, but also, like, I don't know. They she could they just could have been so much more strategic. She could have been like, why don't they meet at, you know, Golden Gate Park? That's the other place they like to fight demons. But there they could like ambush him or something. Yeah. Jump out of the bushes. Yeah. Why don't they meet him at the murder swing? And then the Charmers <laughs> and the Zodiac Killer can all team up on him. <laughs> just I don't know. I would not I would not invite a demon over to my house knowing that we're going to fight. I mean, like my cats are there. My furniture is there. My expensive gemstone collection is there. Like. Yeah, it's just not the most practical place to fight demons, especially when you're in an old house that's full of stained glass windows that break like nobody's business. Correct. Talk about a bill. 
with the repairman. And, she, you know, I know that Kit is also, Kit the cat, is like a kind of a major plot point in this episode. They do not give a fuck about that cat. That would be the first thing I would think of. I'd be like, no, we can't have demons over. My cats are there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a really good point to make. Not only could Kit get hurt, but what happens if they die? The cat just starves. Well, I mean, we've learned that Kit just moves on to the next witch until they die. That's kind of what Kit does. Yeah, that's her M.O. (laughs) Or or, or (laughs) M.E.O.W. It's her meow. (laughs) It's her meow. What what is with you and dad jokes lately? What the fuck? (laughs) It's her meowative. I I can't. I can't. It's (laughs) her meowdus operandi. Okay. So it's time for the showdown. Um, They're all at the house. And... Rodriguez shows up. Andy is outside in his car doing, like, that thing that people think they're inconspicuous when they, like, lean back in their car seat or whatever. Mm. Like, it's an empty car and there's totally not a person in here. And we don't have tinted windows yet. So, <laughs> so like, everybody who's anybody is at the Charmed Manor. All of the major characters mm. are in the story at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Kit Kit the cat, who I, you know, care about very deeply all of a sudden, apparently, um, is outside. Which, oh, they just let their cat inside, outside. Like, that is not safe. Um, <laughs> it is not. So Kit hisses at Rodriguez, which makes him, like, glare at that cat. He's like, what the fuck did you say to me, you little meow meow? But that's all he does. Um... You know, and then he goes up to the house. Um, the Charmed Ones have a plan for Phoebes to answer the door, which she doesn't want to do because she'll just get killed. And she knows this and says this out loud. She is the psychic one. Yeah. Um, Piper's going to come in and freeze. And then Prue's going to actually, like, kill the demon because she's the only one who can. Um, Prue has this great line where she says, let's get this day over with. And I think that's a really good line for a time loop episode. Yes, it is. I really do. I thought that was a good bit of writing. Phoebe goes to open the door and gets killed. Shocking, isn't it? What the dad jokes. I'm so done with you. (laughs) Yeah, Phoebe gets hit with an energy ball and flies up against the wall. She gets fucking smoked. Yeah, she Girl, is. bye. That is a home fucking run. Uh, Piper then freezes Rodriguez, like, mid-tossing of this energy ball, and Prue vanquishes him. Yeah, she throws his own power back at him. So humiliating. Which is pretty much, like, the only thing that Paige ever does when we meet her. Yeah, Paige loves that shit. But then, I mean, season six Phoebe does it a lot, too. Yes, she does. They like deflection. That's a, bit, that's they a big do. thing. Well, I mean, that's a pretty bitch in power, honestly. Um, I mean, truly, it is. Um, yeah, so Prue kills him with his own energy ball, and Phoebe is fucking dead. Phoebe She's dead. is donezo. <laughs> D-E-D. Just <laughs> down for the count. And then the clock strikes six. So at that point, um, Prue and Piper are, like, huddled around Phoebe's dead body, and they're, like, soups upset. But Tempest flips his hourglass, and he pours some sand out of it into his cauldron, which rewinds time. And you get that cool, like, fast-forward rewind, the sky changes colors kind of effect to show that time is rewinding. I feel like Charm does that more than once. Charm does that a lot. And I always, I love it every time. I do, too. It always looks good. It always looks good. Yeah. Um, Rod Regress is now unvanquished. Um, and he's pissed. Um, Tempest has reset time. So did not see that coming. I am so surprised. They didn't yeah. tell us that was going to happen at all. Not at all. Um, and so now we know we're in a time loop until Rodriguez kills them all. Wrong. I can't think of a million reasons. Mm-hmm. You're mistaken. 
Welcome to You Must Be Myth Taken, the part of the show where we call out the wild inaccuracies and misrepresented figures, features, and creatures in mythology. So what the fuck's a time loop? Yeah, time loop mythology is actually a fairly recent invention. To my knowledge and my research, there are no ancient stories about time loops. Time travel, yes, but not loops. The earliest instance of a time loop in literature that I could dig up was a short story called Doubled and Redoubled, written by Malcolm Jameson. The story was published in a 1941 sci-fi fantasy magazine called Unknown, and it was about a man who was forced to keep reliving the perfect day. Oh. Which is, I know, pretty interesting. Um... I don't, I don't want to, like, rehash, like, all the details that I read. I didn't want to turn it into a random 1941 sci-fi story podcast. But um, basically, from my understanding, is the guy, like, he, like, has everything go right for him this day. But then he gets stuck in that perfect day, like, forever. Oh. Which, doesn't that sound horrific, actually? If you think about it? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. To, to expect all of the good things takes the joy out of it. I, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we could, I mean, there's so much to get into there, which is why I tried to avoid it. But anyway, but to my knowledge, that is the earliest literature iteration of the time loop. It's quite possible that Malcolm Jameson is the inventor of the time loop as we know it, but I can't say that for certain. The concept didn't really take off in popular fiction until 1983. In 1983 in Japan, a live action movie that was based on a 1965 novel of the same name called The Girl Who Leapt Through Time came out. And this movie and novel were about a girl with the ability to time travel who gets herself caught in a time loop. Um, I have not seen this. I'm just going off research here. I do kind of want to watch it now, though. The film was the second highest grossing Japanese film of the year. So while it wasn't the first media representation of a time loop, it was like the most successful one of its time. And I would dare say that this 1983 Japanese film put the concept of the time loop into the forefront of sci-fi and fantasy media. Obviously, we have to talk about the 1993 Bill Murray film Groundhog Day, because anymore, you can't really have a time loop episode without referencing Groundhog Day. Um, which really catapulted the time loop narrative in America. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. I haven't seen it like from start to finish, but I've seen like a good chunk of it. It's so influential in the way that we think about time loops now, where like in forms of media, they call it I'm being groundhog dayed or. Exactly. That is almost like the quintessential time loop format now to the point where it's what it's called when it happens in another piece of media. Um, so I just binge watched all of Legends of Tomorrow, which I think is a fantastic show, by the way. And I wish there was more witchcraft in it so we could talk about it. Although we have debated maybe discussing it a little bit. But anyway, I just binge watched Legends of Tomorrow um, and I love it. And in the time loop episode of that show, uh, the character Zari is going through the time loop and she's the only one who's aware of it. And so she repeatedly has to go to this character, Nate, who's always doing and saying the same thing when she walks in. And then she just looks at him and she says, Groundhog Day. <laughs> Except I think in the first time she goes in and she says, you told me to say, um, Hedgehog Day. <laughs> <laughs> because um, she's from the Middle East in the future, so she doesn't understand the reference. <laughs> oh, all. gotcha. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, the point is that Groundhog Day is 
referenced a lot. I'm pretty sure the Supernatural Time Loop episode also references Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I think I'm The Magicians does, too. Positive. Yeah, so does The Magicians. The Magicians so, is great at pop culture references, though. It is, 100%. The Magicians Time Loop episode is also one of my favorites, and it's also one of the most stressful, I think. Um, I, I have not seen Groundhog Day in a while, although I have, a, like, some clear memories of it. I don't remember if it's ever explained what causes the time loop in that movie? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that it is. But basically the scenario is that Bill Murray is stuck in this time loop of the same day. And it's like he has to learn like a moral ethical lesson to get out of it. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a common theme, I think. Um, So I would say that Groundhog Day sets the framework for how most time loop stories go in American media. The time loop is a problem or a puzzle to be solved, usually by reliving the day enough times that the person caught in the loop masters the events of the timeline and learns how to go about the perfect day. There's usually a moral lesson in this in there as well. Something about becoming a better person by learning about all the struggles of everyone around them. And I don't remember the ending exactly, but I'm almost positive that that's how Bill Murray gets out of the time loop by learning how to like be a better part of the community or whatever by experiencing everyone's story and finding the way to help all of them in one day. And isn't that how it goes? Yeah. And there's something about him like getting the girl out of the situation. Well, of course you have to get the girl. He's a white man in America. Well, that's really interesting because that sort of means that Charmed kind of breaks this narrative, this mold a little bit. It does. It absolutely does. Yeah. yeah, the the loops initiated by the villain as part of an evil plan and the protagonists aren't aware of the loop at first, which is really different from what we normally see. Correct. The time loop is often initiated by villains, but they usually aren't the subject of it. In this right. one, Rodriguez is the subject of the time loop. Rodriguez is the one who understands he's in a time loop, but he's also the one who made it happen. And he's re- yeah. he's reliving the day with full awareness, and this is supposed to be to his advantage. Rather than a curse or a problem, it's a strategy. Very, very true. Yeah. Charmed definitely breaks the mold in that regard. Because usually it is one of your protagonists who are going through it, and it's not of their doing, and they don't know how to stop it or escape it. Yeah, I mean, Charmed is kind of a mold-breaking show for existing in the first place. But it's interesting to see that it, it does that in this particular circumstance because within the show, there's a lot of repeated tropes. But this is one instance where that doesn't happen. And I think that's really cool. I would actually say that Charmed repeat and copies a lot of other sci-fi fantasy shows ideas, but I think they almost always put a unique spin on it. Mm-hmm. Even when they're even when they're being copycats. But this is a really great example of that for sure. Okay, so The morning repeats, but Phoebe is onto it this time. Sort of, kind of. She's having deja vu. So Nancy O'Dell is on TV again. We get the Piper phone call. We get Piper spilling salt, a fender bender, the premonition. And Phoebe's like, this shit has happened before. It's like at the point where Nancy O'Dell's on TV. She's on the phone with Piper. And then Kit spills the salt. And then... Prue walks in, and at that point, Phoebe is like, what the fuck? Like, she knows something is up. Yeah, Mm. she definitely knows she's having a deja vu. It's super weird, but she's not fully aware like Rodriguez is. Yeah, it's like when you get stoned and literally everything feels like it's happened before. That's kind of what I get from Phoebe in this moment. Oh, I've never had that, but it sounds bloody horrible. It's insane. Um, Yeah, so Phoebe's sensitive to like all sorts of things in this episode in a way that never really gets fleshed out or defined. 
But I think we both kind of like that. Phoebe's the real hero of this episode and the other two would be fucked without her. Basically. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to bring up this point, actually, because in real life, sometimes psychic events can be really random and unexplainable like that. Like, I tend to view feelings of deja vu as a psychic moment in general, whether it's for me or for something that's happened in that space. I feel like sometimes deja vu is tapping into, like, the time-space continuum and, uh, like, reliving an event that maybe didn't even happen to you. I like this thing. I almost wish it was more clearly defined, though. I like this thing that happens with Phoebe and her powers, and it gets developed throughout the series. The way they do it just sort of seems like lazy narrative, though, and I just feel like it could have been done better. But, like, it's almost like every time they need, like, some information to happen or whatever, that, like, Phoebe becomes sensitive in all sorts of different ways. It's not just her premonition at a certain point. Like, she has intuition, she senses things, and just, like, she just has access to all kinds of information and impressions floating out there that she doesn't necessarily have to get a premonition to know about. And I think that that is really cool. And I think that it makes Phoebe really fucking cool, honestly. Yeah, and honestly, like, viewing it that way makes her more powerful. Exactly. But I feel like the way that she's talked about and the way they discuss that, oh, she just has the power of premonition or whatever, like, I think it would make more sense to say that, like, Phoebe is sensitive or all around psychic you know when they talk about like just the power of premonition like that doesn't really encompass everything that she's capable of it doesn't and i think that's an important thing to talk about because phoebe and that's one of the things that i kind of dislike about phoebe is that she's underutilized Mm -hmm. and you know Alyssa milano is capable of so much more than what they end up giving her as the series progresses and i see i guess the thing why it keeps working is again because how many times are we going to say that Alyssa milano is a fantastic actress like i feel like every point we have just eventually boils down there because even though the writing is lazy and sometimes just because they can't think of anything else to do they're like oh phoebe sensed it but Alyssa milano makes it look good every time and she does you know she does the the thing that comes to mind that is the most random is the succubus episode and we'll get to that eventually yes but. so i just watched that and that is also why this is on my mind yes because the same thing happens there yeah i, I think that that's really interesting and that that's something that i think that we'll have opportunities to talk about more and explore phoebe's psychism and and even find ways to tie it into real life psychic events but for now prue and piper have no idea that they are in a time loop not but a clue phoebe is starting to figure it out already which leads us to the point that phoenix already made which is without phoebe the other two of them are fucked (laughs) yes they would they would not have survived this episode without her phoebe is the hero of the season one finale 100 percent. i agree um so rodriguez storms in to arrange a deal with andy he is really really like gung-ho about this and does not spare any pleasantries at all with Andy. And Andy makes a lame joke about Batman this time, signaling the commissioner or something. Yeah, it's another dumb lame joke. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying about role theory, although not really. So like Andy is still apparently making stupid bad jokes. I guess throughout the life of the series, I haven't, I can't think of a time when Andy made a good joke. So I guess this is character continuity, sure. But because Rodriguez approaches the situation in a different way, he, like, storms in and, like, he, you know, he barely has any kind of nuance or take the time to break it to Andy that he knows about the supernatural. So Andy comes up with a different, I say this very sarcastically, 
quip <laughs> than he did the first time. So it's something about that, like, because Rodriguez did something different, Andy does something different, he's just not, you know, going through the same dialogue just because he's in a time loop. He's a different person depending on how people treat him. That's the point I was making originally. Yeah, so Tempest likes clocks. We're back at the clock store. That's <laughs> yes, just, that's we just are. kind of what he does. He's like, ah, this is my point in the script where I'm at the clock store. <laughs> so he shows up. You know, Tempest knows his part or whatever in his time loop. He's like, I got to uh, be at the clock shop at 2 and about 7 p.m. I got to be in my hotel room masturbating with the rope. And, uh, I was just gonna make that joke. I was just gonna make that joke. <laughs> when I'm not erotically choking myself, I'm uh, rewinding gears. <laughs> That's really terrible of us, but you should keep it in. <laughs> um, yeah. So they they talk about their stupid plan again, and they barely say anything different. Except you actually picked up something that I didn't, um, which is that Rodriguez says, "I think Piper is the one with the power to freeze," because he remembers looking at her and then it being over. Which I didn't really get that they don't know which sister has which power until this moment. So in that regard, it really does make sense that this is like a reconnaissance mission and Rodriguez is just a patsy, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think, I really think that that's what's going on here because... That makes so much more sense. So like the source sent Tempest to like figure out what's going on in San Francisco and Rodriguez is like, I think these girls are the charmed ones. We need to figure out why so many demons are dying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it makes them, I think that makes the most sense. And I feel very intuitive. Um, so Rodriguez says that this time he's going to do the same shit, but he knows where Piper is going to come from and he going to kill her this time. So it's all going to be okay. Kill Piper first. Which I mean, also so- solidifies that, you know, Rodriguez thinks that everyone else but him is just going to go through events the same way every day. Mm-hmm. Like he is not a he is not aware that Phoebe is going to pick up on it. Like nobody is expecting that, which again makes her the fucking hero. Nobody's ex- everyone's underestimating Phoebe, but she sees through the time loop, and that's why you're going to fucking die. So we cut to Quake, and Phoebe's trying to explain her deja vu, but she can't. And then Joanne shows up and Phoebe knows everything about her. Piper freezes the room so they can talk shit about Joanne when really they should be talking shit about Piper and how she got fucking marinara sauce on her shoulder. If my sister did that, I would read her for filth. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying. The food goes in the pot, Piper, not on your body. Yeah. Unless you're, into, unless you're into that. I'm not here to kill you. Is shame. that what it is? Is that what it is? While Tempest was like choking himself in the ho- in the hotel closet while whacking it, was Piper Piper like, shoving jars of ragu like, in her pussy? Yeah, she was just like, like <laughs> sploshing marinara on herself, like in the walk-in. You know, like <laughs> this is all coming together. This episode all... is kinky as fuck. Yes, it is. Talk oh about stealing God. company time. Ooh, I have never masturbated at work. I've taken naughty pictures at work. I was gonna say you. That was. Very pregnant pause, Phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) A very pregnant pause. That's the episode title. (laughs) So Piper freezes Joanne again, and Phoebe explains the time loop to Piper and how Phoebe is so special because she's the only one who can see it. Because Mm -hmm. she says... Maybe I can pick up on it because my power lets me see things that have happened in different times. That's what she says. That's her explanation. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, it's fairly good. But I, again, I just like, I like just, I just think it would be better to acknowledge that Phoebe has all sorts of psychic senses. And that, to me, 
is way cooler than levitating and kickboxing. I mean, the fact that she can also do those things makes her a fucking badass, in my mind. But all of the different psychic abilities that she has are way cooler and, like you said, underutilized. Could have been a better show if they would have leaned into that more. Yeah, agreed. So Prue is picking up on the deja vu while talking to Andy, but this time, she loves him. This time she says, you know how much I still love you. And Andy's like, no, I didn't. And she's like, you broke up with me, you fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't happen, but... (laughs) I mean, it should have. Yeah, okay, so we're back to the showdown. Um, You know, Andy's outside. Kit hisses at Rodriguez. Again, he turns around and he's like, you little fucking bitch. But Kit's like, whatever. I ain't sweating no cop. And uh, yeah, so because the sisters are mildly aware of the time loop at this point, they are looking through the book trying to figure out the whole time thing. When Rodriguez shows up, they have found Mm -hmm. a spell to accelerate time, but they say there's nothing in the book about time loops. But of course, there will be when we arrive at a different episode in season three. (laughs) But I guess it's not there now. I guess the spell that they used to go to the future two episodes from now is also not in the book at this point. But whatever. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing they didn't use that one. (laughs) Whatever. That would not have worked out. Isn't Um, it established, though, that, like, the elders will just pop things in there whenever they want to? Well, at this point, no. And I honestly feel like when they do say that, that it's more, like, covering their asses (laughs) than it is, like, actual show mythology. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. There's just, there's all sorts of things that are not in the book and then later, like, will be when the same subject comes up. And this is just another example of that. Although, if they had read the time loop page that they see in season three, it would have explained a completely different situation to them and they would have been ill-prepared. So they're looking through the book, but they don't quite have all the information when Rodriguez shows up. They try to go through with the exact same plan. Rodriguez busts in. He kills Phoebe immediately again, but then he also kills Piper because he knows where she's coming from. But because Prue is so superior... to everyone else. She kills him in the exact same way. She kicks his ass, she throws his energy ball back at him, and then she cries over both of her dead sisters as the clock strikes six. So Tempest turns back time again, and Rodriguez says he'll kill them all this time. And this again, Tempest seems like he should be on Walker, Texas Ranger. I'm just, I'm sticking to that because... No, I totally see it. I do. I absolutely get what you're saying. He just has that really campy caricature of a supervillain vibe. Yeah, like a, like a Western, like, white, silver-haired cowboy, like, supervillain. Yes, because very that. I have to, you know what's interesting about that is that is exactly the kind of character that he was always up against in Kung Fu. <laughs> because well and so i haven't watched a lot of it but in my memory kung fu was very western the very western genre but just david carradine played like a it was so dumb actually he was he was a chinese like kung fu artist but he had this like buddhist vow of non-violence but there would always be something that would happen in the episode that would mean that he could use his fighting skills and there'd be a big fight anyway so, like, the show was very much about, like, nonviolent philosophy, but there were always had to be fight scenes anyway. I feel like that's just the vibe of, like, all straight guy media. Basically. You know, like, this is media made for guys that haven't had sex in a long time. Yeah, but it was always, like, some guy like David Carradine in this episode would be, like, an evil shit. And then David Carradine of the past would be like, okay, I can't fight him. So... It's the morning again. This is the third time it's been this morning. This time, Phoebe knows everything that's happening. She knows she's in a time loop. She knows everything that's about to happen. And 
I think Phoebe's cool as shit in this scene. Yeah. Prue mm-hmm. walks in and Phoebe predicts everything that's about to happen so that Prue will believe her. Phoebe doesn't even go to Quake this time. She just calls Piper and she's like, when that bitch sho- Joanne shows up, you tell her to shove it up her ass. Pretty much. She also doesn't bother to have her premonition again in this episode. No, she says she says that if she touches the newspaper, she will have a premonition of Andy dying. But she's like, you know, I just don't really feel like doing it. So <laughs> you can keep that rag to yourself. Yeah, so Phoebe is just, like, large and in charge now, and Rodriguez is just super-duper fucking pissed. He's so mad that he shoots Tempest's favorite clock, and Tempest advises him against deviating from his plan even a little, because they want him to die. I, I'm I'm convinced that's what's happening now. Well, no, no, I actually, so I think this is a very important moment. When he shoots the clock, Tempest is mad because he says you were, he basically tells him that if you do things differently, then you are going to change the events in the loop, which is true because that is ultimately his undoing. One minor detail that Rodriguez does differently changes the end of the loop and makes him lose. But we're going to cover that in a second. But Tempest at this point is telling him that that is what's going to happen. And Rodriguez ignores the advice. And that is why he died. Now, I don't think Tempest was like super invested in him living anyway, but... No, me either. (laughs) He did what he can for the people. So he did what he was told to do. And that was it. I don't think he really cared about the outcome that much because I mean, he was like, sure, if you can kill the charmed ones, that would be great. Like, go for it. Yeah. But he wasn't all like Lord Zed about it, like getting pissed every time it didn't work out. You know, (laughs) Lord Zed would have been a fantastic charmed villain. Why did that crossover never happen? (laughs) Um, Side note, if Rita is a witch, can we become a Power Rangers podcast? (laughs) I mean, we could definitely talk about... Just something to float out there in the ether. A Rita Repulsa episode. That would be good. She's an icon. The hair alone. Anyway. Piper tells Joanne off for no other reason than to make herself feel better. And I really don't know why we hate on plastic surgery so much. Yes. That was another point that I wanted to make. So, I mean, first of all, like, Piper literally hates Joanne at this point because Phoebe told her to. (laughs) Like, that's it. That's true. Piper... Piper has displayed no signs of remembering anything about the time loops. Prue does in a minute, but Piper does not. But Piper's just basically like, hey, you're a successful woman and my sister told me to hate you. So I'm going to tell you off for no reason. And the audience (laughs) is supposed to believe that you deserve this. So, you know, maybe in the first scene... We could go with your point of thinking about, like, Piper's insecurity and why it made her act that way. But in this scene, and ultimately this is the only scene that Joanne remembers, you know, the way that Piper treats her is super unacceptable, (laughs) quite frankly. And I just don't like that that is framed as something that Joanne deserved. When ultimately, I feel like it does go back to women need to be in competition with each other over jobs and men. In this scene, I will give you that. Yes, I will not argue that in this scene. In the first scene, I stick to my guns about the point that I made. But for this one, absolutely, this part of the episode is just Piper being mean to be mean. But it's just something that becomes kind of a thing for her later, so. And, but I do want to revisit your point about plastic surgery. Piper says, and when I do achieve my own dreams, I'll be doing it with my own nose and not the nose some discount doctor gave me. And while that is a sick fucking burn, (laughs) that probably leaves Joanne gutted. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) that's more of a read for like Trinity Tuck than uh, yeah. Than us. I mean, you know, if I ever meet Trinity, I'll just say exactly that to her. Um, 
She looks so much better now, though. So much I better. love Trinity. I would never be mean to Trinity. I would just immediately offer to suck her dick, probably. I don't, I don't really, I don't like the fact that plastic surgery is demonized. Because there's, I mean, you're really not hurting anyone with Mm-mm. it. I mean, no. there, there is, like, a culture of, I think it sucks in general that, like, we live in a culture where people are encouraged to be dissatisfied with the way that they look. Mm-hmm. But I also think that plastic surgery can be a very empowering way of taking control of that feeling and dealing with it on your own terms. And people get plastic surgery for all sorts of reasons, too. The media narrative is that it's all about vanity, it's all about nose jobs, or whatever. But plastic surgery encompasses all sorts of things. And I'm not going to go into details here, but I will say this since we're talking about it, because I think it is important. I have had a kind of plastic surgery and I did it to deal with something that a health problem that I had no control over did to me. So like when we're saying these nasty things about plastic surgery, we're not really thinking about people who've endured stuff like that. Mm-mm. Andy and Prue talk again and Prue loves Andy and she would die if anything happened to him blah 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 he loves her back all too bad none of us care right, but this is pivotal because it is it's the last thing they say to each other on the physical plane at least they don't know it but this is this is their goodbye scene for the series I mean it's not their final goodbye scene but it's a goodbye scene for the series and they announce their love to each other which makes what happens next all the more bittersweet and also, something that happens in this scene is that Prue says, this is all kind of familiar to me. Like, finally, in the third time around, Prue is picking up on the time loop. You know, not yep. soon enough to uh, do anything about it, like her sister Phoebe, who everyone says is useless, but actually saved the day. It's not the Prue show this week. Sorry, Shannon. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. This is this is their goodbye scene. I feel bad for being a bitch about it now, but... Well, I'm sure you'll learn from that behavior and not be a bitch in the future. Uh-huh. Sure. (laughs) So we're here for our final showdown. And here is where Rodriguez should have listened to Tempest's advice. And because he didn't, it all goes south for him. Kit hisses at Rodriguez every time because that cat just really fucking hates cops. (laughs) (laughs) All cats are beautiful. Kit says all cats are beautiful. (laughs) But Rodriguez just cannot even deal with it this time. So he turns around and he like basically hisses back at the cat and his eyes glow red. Andy, creeping in his car, sees this. And this changes the time loop for the worse for him. Yeah, it, it irrevocably changes things in the direction of how it's going to go. Yeah. Phoebe discovers in the Book of Shadows being useful for the first time in the season how to destroy Tempest. Oh, you mean the, the book was being useful for the first time. <laughs> no, I thought you were saying Phoebe was useful for the first time. Oh, no. no. The Book of Shadows being useful for the first time. The book has finally delivered on its promise to be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is just now finally being useful to them. Um, she discovers that, that to kill Tempest, you have to take him out of the time that he's in. But apparently he can't be like killed, killed because they utilize him later. Rodriguez bursts in without ringing the bell and Phoebe dodges the energy ball like it's nothing. I don't know why she couldn't do that the first time. Because she knew it was coming this time. She was so smooth. She was like, oh, yes, this is how he kills me. I'll just step aside. (laughs) Andy comes in behind him and fires a useless gunshot and then gets blasted to hell. And it is so fucking obvious that this is a stunt double. It is a completely different guy flying across the room. I 
you know, I wish I'd looked closer at it because I didn't. I mean, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure T.W. King did not do that stunt himself, but I did not look at it closely enough to see how obvious it was. It was. The next time you watch it, pay attention to him flying across the room because Jesus Christ, he is a completely different build than T.W. King. And like, just does oh. not look anything like him at all. I don't know why they didn't shoot it from behind. Okay. Well, see, of course, you would pick up on this because you have studied Andy's body quite a bit. So, yes. that it, But it's just, it's just so obvious and they hold on him for so long and they do it in slow motion. It's impossible to miss unless you're not really paying attention. I mean, I don't know. I was probably like on my phone on Grinder talking about foot stuff, you know? like <laughs> <laughs> Piper freezes and all the sisters are alive but Prue is unconscious. The clock strike six and Andy is dead. But because Rodriguez is frozen and not dead, the time loop doesn't reset. So this is the first time that's happened. Yeah. So instead what unfolds is that I, we totally just glossed over the fact that Andy is dead. I should say I glossed over the fact that Andy is dead. You guys, Andy is dead. And I guess this is actually is important. I shouldn't gloss over it because... Phoebe kept having the premonition of Andy dying, but then it kept not happening. But this time, when Phoebe didn't even bother to have her premonition, that's when the the premonition actually plays out. Because what she saw is her and Piper kneeling over Andy and her closing Andy's dead eyes. And this is where that actually happened. Are you emotional about this now? I think I did (laughs) get a little emotional. Gracious. It It is hard to watch. Um, the character that you've grown attached to die. Death is a hard thing in general, and it, it sucks that right now the sisters don't have time to deal with it. So I actually love main character death. Um, there is one exception. There is one main character death that I will never, ever be okay with. For the most part, I love main character deaths. And I the Andy one is no exception. I actually do love it. Um, I love how everyone reacts to it. I love the way it went down. Um, Andy died in a heroic way without actually, like, accomplishing something, you know? Like, he literally Mm. just saved their lives. He didn't defeat the bad guy. He didn't give them the tools to defeat the bad guy other than more time, I guess. Um, But I think it's done really well. And I think what plays out next in the sisters having to continue to deal with the situation to its conclusion while he's dead in front of them is really emotional. And I think it's really well done. I think now this, well, I'm not going to say that I would never say this in context of real life because I probably will at some point. Um, I think for the story to move on and for the show to be what it needed to be, Andy needed to die. I agree. Uh, I don't think that he was fulfilling the role that needed to be filled for the show. And I think having the law be so involved and everything really kind of held the show back a little bit. Well, I wouldn't really say that the law got less involved. You know, I don't know if Andy's character would have held the show back in season two. I don't, I can see, I can see your argument for that. But I just sort of think that, I almost wonder if it was pre-planned that he would only be in season one. Um, I don't think it was pre-planned. I remember hearing that he and Shannon Doherty didn't get along, and so he didn't want to renew his contract. Really? Oh, yeah. that I did not know. That I mean, that's a that's a good piece of information to like look at it through, though. That actually is really interesting to think about those actors not getting along and still the performances they delivered in this episode being really good. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember. I don't remember who I heard it from, but I've definitely heard it corroborated by Kevin that they did not like each other, so he didn't want to come back for the next season. You know, now that obviously it could have been pre-planned for him to die at the end of season one because episode 10 was supposed to be the end of season one. I just, I think it all makes sense. I can't really imagine it being different. There's nothing Mm -hmm. about it 
that says, oh, I wish Andy had, you know, went on to season two. I just think, I think his death is a pivotal moment for the series, um, for Prue's character development overall. Um, I think that Andy's death changes Prue's character in a lot of ways that you will see for the next two seasons that I can't wait to get into, but um, I'm not going to right now. But I think that it is a pivotal moment. And I mean, I don't know, main character deaths is season finales. I guess it's almost a cliche at this point, but it usually, it just kind of works for me. Like how, how else to make the season finale more dramatic than someone you love dying in front of you? Holy shit. Mm-hmm. I, I like main character deaths at the end of seasons. Um, as well but this is this is major because this is the first major death that we get in the series you know it's the first death that matters that means anything and shows like this they have deaths all the time that mean nothing and so you know that get glossed over that don't get talked about any further this is the first death that impacts our core cast and that's important to note i think that it very quickly gets forgotten about in the next season. They only really spend one episode dealing with it. I have space for it, but it's also not the most impactful death for me. You know, I have a lot that I could comment on and say about, you know, the loss of someone dear to you that's close to you, but I'm going to save my thoughts, my deeper thoughts on grief and loss for some later episodes that deal with it a little bit more. Um, But I definitely think that this is something that the sisters don't have the proper time to process because of the lives that they lead. Yeah. Although, I mean, you did say you feel like Andy's death gets glossed over. That being said, Andy's death and the after the aftermath of Andy's death is the prime focus of or the season two opener. I'm sorry. It 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 is dealt with, but especially especially within this episode, there is no real time for them to deal with what happened. If anything, there's actually there's actually backpedaling because by the end of this episode, Prue is gonna act like she's made peace with Andy's death. But then in season two, episode one, we're gonna find that oh no, that's not the case at all. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, grief works in cycles. So it, it's... That is what I was going to say next. Grief, like it's not a linear... Grief is not linear, thing. correct. Y- you don't go from the loss to being over the loss in a straight line. That's not how that happens. And there are some days that you think you are over the loss and you finally reach the other side and then another day will come when you realize, no, you have not. I experienced that um, at several different points throughout the year when I am thinking about the things that I've lost and the death of my parents and so on and so forth. I feel bad that the sisters don't get time to really deal with this in this episode because they have to deal with with, uh, Rodriguez, which is what they do right now. They have have tied him to a chair and Phoebe expositions the time loop. Uh, Rodriguez wants to die and like, you know. (laughs) I too want to die, Rodriguez. It would be so easy. So Rodriguez wants to die because it will reset the time loop and he'll have another chance, but that's not what we're going to get this time. Prue and Andy are meeting in some afterlife murder swing, but in heaven. Well, now, before you go to before you go to the heaven murder swing, I do just want to point out that Rodriguez says he didn't think that they would be aware of the time loop. Like that is completely mind blowing to him that Phoebe knows about the time loop because Phoebe's a fucking badass. Yeah. Okay. I'm just nailing the point home. Like, none of this should have gone this way, except Phoebe's powers saved the fucking day. Stop acting like she's useless, Prue. Anyway. Yeah, uh, so Prue and Andy are meeting in the afterlife or somewhere. It's the, the heavenly murder swing. I wonder if this is like season six mythology. 
but are they on the ghostly plane? Is that where they are? I don't think so. It doesn't because it doesn't feel. It, well, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it, obviously. But in season six, the ghostly plane is defined as the place where, like, it's like a brief rest stop on your way to death. Where, like, your spirit is. Maybe. Well, then maybe. It's like a between life and death place because Prue is unconscious and Andy is dead. Prue's alive and Andy is dead, I should say. And that's the place where they can both exist at the same time. And Andy just died. So that's where he would be, right? So if we're just talking mythologically, the place they're in right now, while it doesn't visually look like it, kind of might be the way they describe the ghostly plane in season six. I guess so. Yeah. Um, He... They're talking about Andy's death and how Prue has to go on without him, which is a really hard conversation to have. It's a hard thing to reconcile with yourself. Fucking for sure. This is like a heart-wrenching goodbye scene, really. It is. But Andy, you know, has this knowledge now that um, he was supposed to die. He wasn't, they weren't supposed to stop Phoebe's premonition and that this is his destiny, which on one hand is very beautiful and magical and monumental, but also bullshit. Because I don't think that... I don't think that anything is set in stone. I think you can change things with every choice you make. And clearly, that's what happened in this time loop episode. The choices that they made changed the outcome. It wasn't a great outcome, but it's what had to happen. Um, He tells her to stop the time loop, but don't kill Rodriguez because you're not a murderer. And Prue's like, yeah, sure. I love that part. You're not a murderer. Every time I watch that, I'm like, okay, well, clearly you don't know her very well. (laughs) Yeah. But also, like, I don't. I don't love that he says that to her in the first place because Rodriguez isn't human. You know, he's, he's a demon. And I don't think, I think, I don't know. I think that, I think it's weird. I guess I don't really understand the purpose of that at all of framing it that way. But Andy has never been around when they have had to vanquish a demon. Yeah. He's, he's only been there for the before and after parts of it. Um, and when they did finally, when they got rid of Jackson Ward, he was already dead. So it wasn't a thought for Andy to be like, oh, don't kill this person. I mean, wasn't Andy there when they like totally gunned down Tony Wong in broad daylight though? So like. Oh yeah, he was. He did that. But also, he was a cop and he's the good guy, so... License to kill. So, I guess I don't like that moment because sometimes... Sometimes nonviolence sides with the oppressor. Because Rod, if they don't kill Rodriguez, he's going to kill them. Yeah. Like, he's going to eventually kill them if they don't kill him. Like, that's where it is. And he created the situation. He's after them. They're just existing. So, like, yeah. telling Prue... He's basically telling Prue not to fight back. And Pretty much, yeah. That's not an actual viable option for her. Like, she's literally in a kill-or-be-killed situation. And Andy's like, don't be a murderer. And Prue's yeah. like, well, I mean, first of all, I am a murderer but second of all i'm <laughs> it's it's just not encompassing of the situation that they're in it's kill or be killed bitch like yeah. you're a ghost you're already dead don't tell me what to do all of the spirit workers that listen to our podcast are like unsubscribe <laughs> <laughs> whatever so prue wakes up and deals with andy's death fairly quickly because she has to she compartmentalizes like that yeah. was very clear to me that was not dealing you know could prue have done what she did if she hadn't just had that heavenly conversation with him i don't know but either way it's it's very it sucks it's brutal actually that any person ever would have to be in that situation to glance at someone they love learn that they're dead and then have to just move on with what needs to be done that is fucking brutal and i don't think at this point the episode just had enough time to explore how brutal that was but it is she casts a spell to accelerate time to break the time loop and defeat tempest when this unfortunately means that auntie will not be revived yes because 
Prue and Phoebe, or Piper and Phoebe want to reset the time loop and keep Andy alive, but Prue understands that it has to be this way or they're all going to die. This is Misspelled, the part of the show where we critique the spells used by fantasy witches and talk about how a real witch might do the same thing. We've already said a lot about time magic, so we don't want to spend too much time on this one. However, it is a specific spell that could actually be duplicated in the real world, so we'll touch on it for just a second. So we've mentioned in a previous episode that one function of time magic is to alter the witch's perception of time, and I think that this spell could do exactly that, to make you feel as though time is moving more quickly. You could do this kind of spell when you're stuck in an unpleasant situation and you just want to get out of it, or something you need to happen is still days away. But I do want to say, I literally think that that's a waste of time. Um, so I do stuff like that when I'm at work. When I'm, when I'm working, I do spells to like accelerate my perception of time because I don't want to be there. And okay, so that that situation makes perfect sense. I know a lot of people don't like being at work. So I understand that. And I'm not passing I'm not passing judgment on anyone who would use it that way. I guess I'm saying for my own personal preference, I don't like it because, you know, time is like what's that old like riddle or whatever? Like time is the resource that there's always more of, but you never have enough of and you can never get it back, you know? I like the idiom that we hear in Angel Season 1 with one of the oracles where she says, I like time. There's so little and so much of it. Yes, exactly that. So we all as like living people have like a limited amount of time alive on this earth. And I guess I just wouldn't want to spend any of it trying to throw it away and get through it as quickly as possible. That's my feelings. Just my personal feelings on a spell like this. That being said... I think that you could use literally exactly the chant that they use to do a spell for the kind of thing that Phoenix just described doing at work. Timekeeping devices are common imagery used in this kind of spell, like an hourglass, a clock, a sundial. And the point is to visualize the timekeeping element moving faster or to actually make it move faster to represent what you want. And so when I do the spell to accelerate time at work, I have my own little chant, but I might incorporate some of these words. But the sigil that I draw resembles an hourglass. Would you be willing to share this, the chant that you do use? Sure, yeah. Let me try to think of it. I kind of alter it every time. It's written in my Book of Shadows, but I don't do it word for word every time. I think it's, in this time, in this hour, I call upon the ancient power, which is charmed. That's from charmed. Yes. Um, Correct. <laughs> to mold the sand slipping by, I control the hands of Father Time. That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, and then I, I will usually chant that as I uh, draw the hourglass symbol. See, I can't even do something like that at work because I never feel like I have enough time to get everything done when I'm there. <laughs> if anything, I would slow time down. Oh, my God. Well, I don't care about my job as much as you do. Mm, yeah, key difference. So anyway, like I said, I think that this chant is perfectly fine for this kind of spell. And, you know, if you ever find yourself stuck in a time loop, what the hell? Give it a shot. So Tempest's watch spins forward and he dissolves into the fire, cursed back into the fireplace or, you know, Smokey the Bear dimension. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it's all very confusing. So like, does it, in the Book of Shadows, does it say that they're destroying Tempest or does it just say defeating him? Because I know the point is to take him out of the time he's in. But because well, here's the thing, you can't destroy time. 
time is going to continue yeah. whether you're there or not. So I don't think Tempest can be killed. I think he can only be like banished or defeated. Kind of like Barbus always comes back. I think it's the same kind of deal with Tempest. Well, that actually, uh, I mean, that makes sense to me. And, you know, just what, obviously we know from the future that Tempest exists in the season three finale, even though you don't see him, he's mentioned and he exists. Um, but even the visual, it doesn't really appear that Tempest has been vanquished because he gets pulled back into the cauldron fireplace thing or whatever. And it looks more like a banishing because that's where he came from. He gets put mm-hmm. back where he came from. Yeah. Rather than exploding or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it just banishes Tempest. Is to take him yeah, out of the so I don't think created. that as the viewer, I don't think we're being told that he's dead as the viewer. Mm-mm. And the Charmed so Ones, the Charmed Ones literally never meet him. They don't. They never meet or see him or speak to him or anything. So, like, they don't really, they don't have any way of knowing if he's dead or what, you know? They don't, but, like, they don't, I think he's the only time men- demon mentioned in the Book of Shadows, so they just happen to be right. So, um, that was taken a lot on faith. <laughs> yeah, but later, I mean, later, I feel like Phoebe says in the season three finale that they killed Tempest, and Cola's like, no, you dumb bitch, he's fine. Prue says, let's untie Rodriguez and let him go, and her sisters are like, um, no thanks. Mm, that's like a really terrible idea. <laughs> and Prue's like, I don't care what you think, I'm gonna do what I want, and lets him go. And surprise, surprise, he tries to kill them again, but Prue smokes that bitch with his own power. For the third time. <laughs> <laughs> the third time. She yeah. says, we may not be murderers, but we're no angels either. Like, bitch, you are a murderer. <laughs> she is. You are. She finally has time to process Andy's death and cries over his dead body. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I think the death of Andy is really quickly forgotten about in terms of narrative, but it's really important. And I don't think we spend enough time grieving him in respect to how much time we had with him. And like I said, it's the first major loss of the series and a catalyst for the sisters' perception of what it means to be witches and the enormous sacrifice that they will continue to face. It's moments like these that really shape the characters and provide moments of catharsis and healing. And for those that have lost people in real life, I think that that's, you know, it accomplishes that. I will say that as the series progresses, we see more needless death at the hands of destiny. And you just have to ask yourself, why the fuck would anyone hang out with these girls? Because they're so pretty. Um, I mean, I would totally hang out with them. I'm like, teach me witchcraft. I won't die. I would die, though. I'm exactly the kind of character that would die because, you know, I'm a minority. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I'd probably still hang out with them. I am thinking, though... You know, I've, we've discussed the glossing over the death. I don't want to re- repeat too much. But so our next character death is Prue. And they spend easily half of season four dealing with her death. Mm-hmm. Like it's referenced at least once an episode in almost all of season four. So and, you know, Andy's like barely referenced again after this. So I do get what you're saying there. But and you got it. I mean, you got to think. We know from the last time travel episode that they've known Andy since they were kids. They've known Andy since before they had memories, apparently. So this mm-hmm. is a huge loss. I mean, Prue and Piper were hanging out with Andy before Phoebe was born. This yeah. is a huge loss. This is someone they've known their entire lives. Yeah, that has died and is no longer So it them. does not make sense for any of them to just get over it. No, really. it doesn't. It really doesn't. They attend his funeral. 
And then we we transition into the next day. It is now Monday. Nancy O'Dell is on TV. The same bitch from before that is not Wendy Williams. Nancy O'Dell says the exact same line. And Phoebe like like glares at the TV and turns it off. And she's like, that bitch needs a new line. <laughs> <laughs> Prue pretends to be happy. Uh, pretends to be in a good mood, even though Andy is dead. Uh, he's been exonerated, which is great news. And they're looking for Rodriguez. And Prue just like gives herself a little pat on the back for getting away with murder. Basically. And Prue's happy, Prue's happy that they're witches because they get to do good things. And I wonder how much they'll bitch about that in season two. And also, Piper quits her job without a backup plan because she cares about her future. Because that's something you can just do on TV. <laughs> that is privilege. 100%. Yeah. Prue telekinetically closes the door. And that starts a theme for the rest of the show. Every season ends this way. And that is a wrap on season one yeah that was a, a really wonderful journey so phoenix we did it we did we all did of season it. one finally we did all of season one it only took us a you year know, and a half well we took some pit stops and we did some really great movies but i am feeling i'm feeling super accomplished in this moment we did all of season one like do you remember those like conversations we had on our cell phones while I was chain smoking on my back patio of the house I no longer own, where we were just planning this podcast and like, look at us now. I do. We have a full fledged show. Um, so this is not, Oh, do we want to do kill of the day? Cause it's Andy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's going to have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, now that that's out of the way. What were you saying? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, it's so amazing to me that we've done. This is the only project that I have ever planned myself, that I have ever thought about, that I've ever worked on myself or with anybody else that has ever come to fruition. I've had lots of ideas for stuff. I've had lots of dreams about shows I wanted to create, musicals I wanted to write, books I wanted to write, and I've never been able to make anything happen. And this is the first project that I have ever worked on that makes me feel like I'm doing something bigger, that makes me feel creative, that checks all my boxes. Um, and I have gotten the podcasting bug for sure. I love this so, so much. And um it really made me discover my passion for creating things and that I want to tell my own stories. Um, and that maybe what I used to think was for me, isn't for me doing musical theater was a way to, for me to perform and entertain. Uh, but I get to do all of that in this medium and do it my own way. And that's something I really want to take with me going forward. You know, I've talked about starting other podcasts on this podcast, but uh, I have one in development called geez, who died? What a name. What a name. I'm going to explore, you know, grief and loss and tell my story in a way that I know that I can. So keep an eye out for that very soon. What about you? How are you feeling? I mean, I think the first thing I would want to say to you is that I'm just so like grateful and privileged and honored that you chose me to be your partner on this because this has been such a journey and so much fun. And, you know, I, I our listeners don't know the full details, but Phoenix has put up with a lot of bullshit from me. <laughs> <laughs> over the past year and a half definitely some canceled recording dates and medical crises and also a lot of me being just fucking sad 
Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of this podcast. I'm also very lucky to have Phoenix as a friend. Um, when I, I really am. I, I, I always feel that way, even when you're pissing me off. Um, <laughs> you know, I also want to say, um, there are some, there are some of our fans that I am super grateful to that I've actually had like conversations with that I would love to give a shout out to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, um, Artemis Moonchild, who I don't even know his real name, but um, he's a pretty vocal supporter of us on Twitter, and I know he's going to listen to this, and I just want to say, you are so fucking hot. It's so stupid. <laughs> You're so hot. I look at all your pictures. Um, also, Connor, obviously Connor, who made our bingo card. Connor talks to me all the time, and he's so sweet. And I love I really Connor. Do. I really do I think Connor. of him as a great friend. I love Connor so much. Um, recently, I've been talking to his Twitter handle is V Soir, and I don't know his real name either. But um, he, he likes he, our show a lot too. I've seen a lot of support from him. Yes, he's been so great. So the three of you, especially, um, I want to say, have been like the biggest personal supporters to me, and I've loved talking to you. And if there are any of you else out there who are like afraid to message us and talk to us, like don't be because I love that shit. Me too. I also, I also want to thank Kevin uh, for being a supporter of our show from the second he found us. Most definitely. That was the next thing I wanted to say was um, the wonderful guests that we've had on the show. Yes. I'd like to give a shout out to them. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you, David. Thank you, Madge. Thank you, Nathan. The experiences with all four of you on the show were so wonderful. And, yes. you know, made me so excited about having guests in the future. It's It's been such a beautiful, wonderful time. Yeah. Uh, and I can't wait to keep going. I can't wait to keep this show going and to find a way to make it work for us and be enjoyable for us and be, you know, to grow our platform and to be up there with the big dogs, you know, and because I think that we're capable of it. I think so, too. But no matter what, no matter how successful we are, this is always going to be fun. And you and I are always going to have fun doing this. Yeah, absolutely. That will always be the most important thing to me. Is that we're having fun. Yeah. But I would also like to be rich and famous, yes. Yes, I would like to, I would like money, please. <laughs> yeah, this has been such a wonderful time. And I, I mean, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't fun. You know, I wouldn't care about it so much if it wasn't fun. Because I'm very passionate, as we know. All right, well, we may be talking about the Charmed Season 1 finale, but this is not our season finale. We have a couple things coming up that we're really excited to do. We're excited to share with you. And we might be switching gears a little bit uh, next season. Oh, I'd say we're definitely switching gears a little bit for season two. All you Charmed lovers, please stay tuned because we're definitely not finished with Charmed, but we are going to come at you with something a little bit different for a while. And I know you're all going to love it. Yes. All right. Um, Siren, where can the people find you? You should absolutely follow me on Twitter at Siren Spectacular and do not be afraid to slide into my DMs, especially to tell me how much you love our podcast. It's my favorite fucking thing to hear. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Siren Spectacular or on Facebook at Siren Spectacular Non-Binary Meme Witch. Or you can watch my Coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantations. You can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. You can follow the podcast on all social media platforms at WBRcast. 
Um, and please like, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts that gives you that option. It really helps people find us. It helps boost our numbers, um, especially after switching platforms recently. Which we had to do because we're bitches. Which we had to do because we are indeed bitches. All right, all you pasta sauce soaked sploshers. <laughs> Until next time, keep on witching and bitching. Bye. Bye. Witchcraft sucks, doesn't it?